It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. From Barangaroo Studios, the AusBiz COV is the key stuff you need to know about the day in business and finance. Well, hello, hello. You're listening to the COB podcast here from Ausbiz. It's November the 9th. It's the day after the U.S. midterm elections. The markets are just digesting that now. I'm your host, David Scott, joined today by Carl Rotter. Carl, uh, how was the day? It was a, well, I guess it was a good day. As uh, I think it was at Ice-T used to sing, or Ice-Cube. Um, today was a good day. Um, I suppose we, we didn't quite make it to uh, 7,000, did we? we? We had sort of the Shane Warne situation stuck on 699, uh, 69.99. Um, but uh, no, lo and behold, we're still kind of wa- climbing that wall of worry despite all the uncertainty out there. Yeah, mate, I'm going to round up. We've got to 7,000. We'll train you above 7,000 for most of the day. So, yeah, fresh, uh, fresh uh, two-month closing highs for the, uh, the local boss today. Yep. Got up to around about 7,010 points at the highs. Came off a little bit uh, as it emerged that the red wave that so many uh, market pundits have been expecting with uh, the uh, Democrat or the Republicans uh, expected to go and take both the House and the Senate uh, in the midterm elections that emerged that uh, maybe we're not going to get such a scenario. It looks like the Senate may not go and flip now to Republicans. So that maybe contributed to a little bit of uh, no, caution towards the close. But uh, once again, it's just another day, fourth day in a row, and really driven by the mining sector. There are some huge gains coming through, particularly in the gold miners. St. Barbara up over 13%. And the, uh, all the iron ore miners up and about, uh, Dallying Iron Ore Futures rallying. Even Orica out with its four-year results, impressing. So it uh, did its bit. Yeah, material space had a really decent day again. Yeah, good crack. That gold move was remarkable, though. It looks really constructed from a technical point of view as well. And if you start to see this US dollar rollover, peak rates, I don't know. People have been calling the bottom in gold for ages, so you wouldn't want to stick your neck out for that one. But it's certainly looking pretty constructive. Yeah, man, on any longer-term time horizon, if you're willing to go and say, okay, we might go and see... 10% 10% downside, and I don't say that as a ingest, but if you when you're going to see 10% downside because of your longer-term investment, think things are going higher longer-term, US dollars surely got to be near the top of its cycle. Real yields are surely going to be near the top of its cycle as well. They are two massive drivers of the gold price. And uh, if they start to come under a little bit of pressure and reverse uh, what we've seen, the trend over the past couple of years, uh, who knows where bullion prices could go and end up, particularly in an environment with what's going on with crypto. Where do we start with that one? Because that's another story as well today, Carl, that's uh, really caught the imagination of the punters. Yeah, I know. How about that, right? Um, I uh, managed to, well, I suppose uh, steal your thunder today a little bit because I wrote a, wrote a view on it that's going to be in the newsletter. But, um, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not against crypto and I'm you know, fairly confident that it might have a, a place in the financial ecosystem in the future. But it won't, what it won't ever be for me is uh, any kind of substitute for a monetary or financial system or, or, or infrastructure because a simple rumor can turn into, well, effectively facts and the whole, uh, the, the whole um, market can you know, uh, go tumbling over like we saw in the last 24 hours. So um, the, the, I guess that the episode hasn't fully played out either, but um, 
I guess I'd use another cliche, sort of um, show me a hero and I'll write you a tragedy. This um, Sam Bankman Fry has gone from hero to zero pretty quickly, almost literally to zero. Yeah, and who knows where it ends up. Like, I, I don't pretend to go know a full mechanics behind it, but what it does remind me of, of uh, you know, what was going on during the GFC and a lot of those toxic assets that were sitting on the books, uh, all those you know, mortgages that were uh, AAA rated and everything else, but in reality they were worthless and uh, you know, underpinned the value of so many of those financial institutions for a long period of time. Well, and when it emerged that they were you know, not even worth the paper they were written on, we saw what happened. They got bailed out, I dare say, in this instance, a uh, similar kind of scenario, not identical, of course, but uh, I'd be shocked if these industries were bailed out by uh, anyone, particularly the government. No, I think policymakers would love to see it because I think they'd be more worried about it growing bigger and becoming a true systemic risk. But I mean, this is the, the fact that I found interesting. And I think folks at home can go watch Cracking Crypto online on the platform to get a, a proper expert's point of view. But the F FTX had its own currency, I can't remember, or, or token, I can't remember what it was called. But a lot of the collateral that they were using to stump up these loans was in that particular token. So when this token actually fell over, and a, a little bit like, you know, what you're talking about with, you know, say CDSs or whatever else, um, you know, just toxic loans uh, during the GFC, when everyone realized that they weren't, it's not worth anything. And almost like fiat currency, it was just built on on, on trust and, you know, the, the willingness of a buyer and seller to exchange at a particular price. The assets were shit, and, the, and the, the the company didn't have anything to be able to um, secure itself with, and fell fell apart, and has had to be effectively, you know, bailed out by um, its larger competitor. So, I mean, it's just kind of a. I, I feel sometimes that these lessons in the crypto community are ones that you know, typical markets and and econ economic historians would have known by studying things just over the last hundred years that this is how markets work. You know, crypto is not any different. Well. We uh, went straight to uh, one of the people who are involved in what's going on, Lisa Wade, uh, the chief executive of Digital X, uh, went and sat down and had a chat with us today about what she thinks is going on. She's an expert in the space, so well worth your while having to listen to that interview uh, in the show notes today. Also, some other great chats out there today. Ara Epstein, uh, look, a market stalwart, has seen a lot in his time and uh, seen what's going on at the moment, uh, politically, uh, you know, through lens at the moment, especially at this point in time. Uh, always good to go and get his views as to what's going on in these markets and uh, know the shenanigans that can uh, go and dominate the headlines on a day-to-day -day basis. Also, Alex Bakoulis uh, joined us in the 10 o'clock hour. Always good to chat from a multi-asset strategy perspective. And, uh, worth your while having to listen to him in the show notes as well. Look, uh, getting back to some of the uh, stock-specific activity today, NAB was uh, the latest bank to be out with its full-year results. And uh, like we're seeing in a lot of the other uh, banks so far, disappointed uh, you know, compared to what consensus was. Finished down about 1.1% uh, off the lows of the session. But uh, yeah, the bank sector, it's interesting. You know, it's had a pretty high bar set and uh, now it's not been able to go and exceed it. But uh, certainly a lot of the question marks still remain about what happens next year in the environment where we're talking about recessions, you know, people losing their jobs. That doesn't generally portend well when it comes to provisioning and also margins of these banks. Yeah, well, I suppose the margin tailwinds are there, but I was talking to Martin Lacos this afternoon and the question's volumes. I mean, you know, um, the, the way someone explained it to me, and I'm a simple man, as you know, so um, it, it sort of resonated for me is, you know, the bank's product is money, they sell money. And uh, yeah, sure, the interest rate that they get on it is, is the price. 
but there's also a volume issue like with uh, any product. And if they're not lending out as much because the housing market's weak and no one wants to you know, spend and invest or whatever it happens to be, then that's not going to be good for bank stocks. Now, I don't know if the banks are a good buyer here. I wouldn't listen to me either. But um, it does raise questions that if we are going into this slowdown, whether the banks are a little bit, uh, a little bit rich here and, and whether the kind of disappointment we saw in NAB today will be fairly characteristic of bank results over the, you know, well, I guess the next stage of the cycle. Well, we decided to go make NAB our stock of the day on the call. So Koshi sat down today with Michael Wayne from Adain Financial and also Carl Capolingo from the Thinking Markets to get their views as to whether the Black Bank is worth a buy. I think the message here is, uh, you know, from management, uh, you know, CEO comments all the, all the way through the, the, the numbers, is that we're kind of top of, of the, you know, it's bumper profit, top of the range for a while, uh, best profit since 2018. So they've recovered, you know, the, the poor performance of the last few years and the pandemic. But yeah, it's all about, uh, you know, markets look forward. So it's all about um, the impact on the uh, consumer, on the, on, the, on the borrower, starting to come through through those, through those interest rate increases and uh, high rates of inflation. There, there, there's a lot more competition. Uh, so the expectation is that if home loans are going to contract, you, you, as a bank, you still want growth. So you're going to have to fight harder and harder uh, to, to get that growth. And that means more pressure on margins. Uh, but as Carl touches upon, the outlook is probably a little bit questionable. Um, obviously, there's a bit of a lagged effect between interest rates going up and the impact on the consumer and, and on households. and. The reality is there's about 25% of fixed mortgages rolling over in the next 12 months um, that will need to be refinanced at higher rates. And yeah, probably not surprising. Yeah, not interested. So not uh, being put forward for a consideration when it comes to the investment portfolio here at Oscars. But uh, yeah, each their own. There's plenty of opportunities out there. Don't like the banks. Uh, certainly a lot of other stuff out there to go and keep an eye on at the moment. Now, we've uh, got the midterms not quite out uh, of the way. It looks like at this point. What, what did you describe it before we started the podcast today? A, a, a purple crimson tide? Is that, is that how uh, you described it? Crimson sounds nice. I thought maybe a purple tide will we'll probably get um, some centrist Democrats re-elected and a Republican... Um, a Republican-controlled House. Uh, that the Senate, though, is still up for grabs. It would seem, and and the very early results seem to point, I think, in favour very slightly towards the the Democrats. But um, it, again, it's um, sort of still all up in the air, from what I understand. But um, I mean, it's going to be really, really interesting. Perhaps a level of uncertainty for uh, for the markets, especially how it sort of feeds into you know the next year, two years of uh, policy making, but also leading us to the presidential elections. You've got a background in politics. You know, that's what Rightly. you studied uh, at uni. Mm-hmm. Give us a sense as to you know what what it means in practicality when you've got a split uh, a split you know, a house and senate. Well, I mean, it just means a legislative agenda obviously is difficult to um, uh, affect uh, from either perspective. I, I mean, again, what we were talking about just before we came on was the political implications as it relates to 2024. And my sense is that maybe for the longer run, or at least maybe if President Trump is sort of sitting back and, and watching this all unfold, is that maybe um, a, a, a house that does fall obviously to the Republicans, but, but a um, Senate that remains controlled by the Democrats could be in his favor because there'll be enough uh, power uh, in Congress for the, the, the Republicans to agitate, slow any kind of policy agenda, uh, while also not having to take any responsibility for what's probably going to be a recession in the next couple of years, continued high inflation, all those sorts of things, and what could be a very tough time for, for, for US households, which means that 
you know, Trump can sort of position himself as the savior, especially because he did leave the economy, obviously, other than the pandemic shock, which I don't know if anyone actually blames him for the economic impacts of the, the pandemic. Obviously, the health response wasn't perhaps adequate, um, but he can sort of you know, ra- uh, endorse himself as being the, the superior economic manager, the savior for the economy um, and, uh, you know, sort of ride in on uh, on the back of that dysfunction over the next two years. So that's that's my wild speculation. But I did have a good chat today, actually, with James Whelan as we sort of picked apart you know, the potential for energy policy in the United States. Um, so what that will mean for uh, investment in the space as well as prices going forward, but also geopolitics too, because um, a really, really big um, impact could be the fact that, well, of course, if the Republicans control Congress uh, uh, totally, um, that the support that Ukraine is getting from the United States could diminish the, the balance of power there could um, could could significantly push back towards the uh, in favour of uh, Russia and it could um, have a fairly significant impact on, on energy markets as well as um, ec- economic activity in, in Europe. So uh, there, is a, there are a lot of threads here, I think, that we can, uh, we can pull and we'll sort of find out more, obviously, in the next couple of days. Absolutely. We'll keep a close eye on those uh, the uh, results that come flowing through this afternoon and this evening here in local time. We should have a good understanding about what's going on by the uh, morning when we wake up here in Australia. Uh, looking forward now, of course, that's inflation report in the States looms large on Thursday evening. A few things to go and look at beforehand, though. One of those, uh, RBA Deputy Governor Michelle Bullock, will be delivering a speech tonight just after 8 o'clock on the eastern uh, seaboard. So keep a close eye out on that, see what she's got to go and say, particularly in light of some of those pretty dire uh, consumer and business surveys that we saw out over the last 24 hours or so. Also, John Williams, uh, the New York uh, Fed President, will be going and speaking tonight as well in Zurich. Lucky, lucky, lucky guy. Uh, Go and (laughs) see what his views are, of course. Uh, Everyone's on pivot alert. And see what it comes out. Uh, you know, any commentary about what clues might go and see the Fed step down to 50s or maybe even less, uh, based on that inflation projection. Probably sticking to the script, you'd imagine what we're seeing a lot recently. Uh, look, apart from that, uh, look, it, uh, it's really going to be that inflation report that will probably set the tone going into the uh, to the end of the week. So. We'll regroup, do it all again tomorrow, and then uh, see what uh, Friday brings. Yeah, absolutely. And when's uh, when do you fly back here, mate? I'll be uh, very early tomorrow morning, but of course, uh, knowing what the flight schedule is like, uh, I hope to be there for the uh, other Global View tomorrow morning. But uh, yeah, fingers crossed that the uh, plane departs on time. I think anyone who's been in the air much this year knows what I'm talking about. So so hopefully I'll see you on air at 9.45 a.m. in our Sydney studios. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if they do um, if they do cancel it or reschedule it, you can be rest assured that they uh, they, they won't refund you anything, but they, they will charge you, as they <laughs> did with me uh, last week, to change a flight a week in a uh, week, uh, push a week, a flight a week back. Charge me 99 bucks to do that. So, um, yeah, you can perhaps see some justification there for why the, uh, the Qantas share price is surging, despite the fact that we never seem to arrive on time. Yeah, and, uh, I think tomorrow is my 52nd flight of the year, and I can tell you, mate, uh, it doesn't matter how much you fly. Sometimes uh, trying to go and uh, and argue the point doesn't really get your way. Anyway, I'm looking forward to my 52nd flight. Hopefully, gets me there on time. Let's go and wrap it up there. I'll see you tomorrow, mate, in person. See you, mate. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.